Welcome to the WNCT Podcast Network. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It is a crisis that strikes at the very heart and soul and spirit of our national will. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of What the Politics. I'm Emily, and Victoria is here as well. And today we kind of want to dive into a topic that might be a little bit uncomfortable for some people, the conversation of church and state, the separation of religion and politics, and how that influences our democracy here in America. So I'm going to let Victoria go ahead and introduce our special guest for today. Our special guest for today is Dr. Brad Lockerbie. So can you please tell our audience who you are, your background, and um, anything? Let's, let's choose something interesting. What's your, what's your coffee order? Um, I'm Professor Brad Lockerbie, a professor of political science at East Carolina University, formerly at the University of Georgia. Um, I study American politics. One of the areas I think I have some expertise in is religion and American politics, and my favorite coffee order is a nice dark Italian roast with a little bit of steam. Ooh, there we go. Right. Okay. <laughs> First, to, to kind of start off our conversation, let's talk about the separation of church and state and what that looks like here in America. Basically, if we look at the separation of church and state in America at its most fundamental level, it means that there's no state-established church, um, that there's not a church of the United States like there is a church of England. Um, so that's the, at its most basic level what the separation of church and state means. In practical terms, it means that the government is supposed to neither inhibit or exalt a particular flavor of religion. And that's where we get into some of the debates as to whether um, being supportive of religion in general is permissible, or um, is it acceptable to basically be completely neutral between religion and state? Um, so that's the overall nature of it right there. We have a lot of big fights over that, and the Supreme Court has been less than stellar in providing clarity as to what counts as an inappropriate entangling of church and state and an appropriate um, mixing of church and state. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the places that we see this debate often come up, at least when I was growing up, was in, in schools. Should public schools have prayer? Should public schools have the Pledge of Allegiance where the mention of God is is in our pledge? Um, do you have anything to say about that? With regard to the um, prayer school, I think the courts have been pretty consistent on that, that the state cannot write a prayer and then require or even make it optional for students to recite that prayer, say, during morning announcements or um, assemblies and such. With regard to the Pledge of Allegiance, the Ninth Circuit out in the West Coast, um, I believe, struck down the Pledge of Allegiance with the One Nation Under God, but when it went to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court said that Michael Niebau, the individual who had brought the suit on behalf of his daughter, did not have um, did not have standing as the daughter was under the custody of his ex-wife. 
but that case hasn't gone back up to the Supreme Court in another instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, my guess is they would hold that that is not an excessive entanglement, but I'm not a lawyer, nor do I play one on TV. <laughs> well, so mm-hmm. why do you think in this day and age, obviously, you know, church and state, the separation of church and state and and people's religious beliefs, you know, tapping into their political beliefs as well and kind of having those hand in hand. How come you think that that has become such, it's become such a prevalent thing that people, you know, bring their their religious beliefs into their political beliefs? Why do you think those mix so, you know, easily together? It's, you know, you think of it really as oil and water, but people really try to mix the two. Well, I think part of it is because religion is so fundamental to many people in the United States that we look upon religion as being our core identity, um, whether it be that I am a Christian, I am a Protestant, um, I am a Jew, I am Hindu, Islamic, whatever. Um, People look upon that as a core identity, and from that flows other attitudes. And I think part of the reason it's more prevalent in politics today is that there has been a sorting in that we look at the more secular Americans, and they tend to be on the liberal side of the aisle or the democratic side of the aisle, and the more evangelical um, Christians, at least, tend to be on the Republican side of the aisle. Um, We see some bifurcation within the Jewish community, largely democratic, but the Orthodox Jews are moving in a Republican direction. Um, And we look back at the, the Muslim community in the United States, a lot of the issues upon which they base their religion um, would lead you to believe they are conservative. In fact, they, I think they, the um, Muslim-American community voted for George W. Bush in 2000, or at least it was a tight fight between him and Al Gore. Um, now, since then, it's been decidedly Democratic more on foreign policy issues than anything else. So do you think that also obviously plays into, I mean, a lot of the social policies and social opinions that um, the Republican side has, like you said, it's those more evangelical Christians um, that tend to be Republican. Do you think it, it also has to do with, you know, just the social policies they have? I mean, the, you know, LGBTQ movements, the Black Lives Matter movements, the, um, you know, pro-life, pro-choice, um, those seem to be, you know, some of those hot-button issues that really, you know, play into religion and politics. Um, well, they do, they do animate both um, politics and religion right now, um, particularly with what you identified as the social issues like abortion and LGBTQ rights mm-hmm. and, say, gay marriage, transgender rights, and so on. Um, the parties have taken relatively distinct positions there, which dovetail with, and say, within the Christian community, an evangelical and non-evangelical perspective. Evangelicals um, tend to have a much more traditional view of sexual politics, whereas seculars and um, mainline Protestants and um, liberal Catholics tend to have a very liberal or fairly liberal position on those issues. And those really in terms of American politics, are a relatively recent phenomenon. Right. Um, keep in mind that a lot of the gay rights movement didn't get started until the late 60s with the Stonewall riots up in New York. Um, and we look at the abortion issue. It really 
catalyzed on the American political scene after Roe v. Wade and then the ensuing years. Mm -hmm. And at first it was just largely Catholics on the Roe v. Wade issue, but evangelicals came on board um, on the same side as the Catholic community in the late 1970s, early 1980s, and they've been together since then on the particular issue of abortion. And so we've seen a breakdown of the divide between various religious communities and sort of a divide within religious communities. So conservative Catholics and conservative evangelicals are going to form political coalitions together in opposition to mainline Protestants and more liberal Catholics and most of the Jewish community. Sure. So has it always kind of been, you know, that division? Has it always been the, you know, Republicans lean more in the traditional, um, you know, very Christian sense on social issues and the Democrats, you know, tend to lean more liberal on these social issues. Has it ever been, you know, flipped where the Republicans have been the ones, you know, pushing for these non-traditional social issues? Well, a lot of it depends on what era you're looking at, what you think of as the social issues. Right. Um, one thing that I think is important to note is the change in the parties over time. It was originally the Republican Party that pushed the Equal Rights Amendment. Um, Democratic Party came along with it very quickly. But then in the 1980 presidential election, Ronald Reagan came out in opposition to the Equal Rights Amendment, and it died during his administration. It didn't get the requisite number of states um, before the end of the period for ratification. Um, if we look at the women's vote, that was primarily a Republican initiative back at the turn of the 1900s. Um, Woodrow Wilson opposed it until he realized it would hurt him electorally in his bid for re-election in 1916. Um, if we look at the abortion issue, it was largely a nonpartisan issue through the period just before Roe v. Wade. Both parties took positions against abortion. Um, in 1972, for example, the first vice presidential candidate for Georgia governor was very strongly pro-life. In 1976, Jimmy Carter was able to get away with the dodge of simply saying he was personally opposed to abortion. People extrapolated incorrectly beyond that that he would um, push policies that were pro-life. Um, and then in 1980, he did the same thing, but Ronald Reagan was more heavily endorsed by um, evangelicals, and he took a very strong position against Roe against Wade, um, despite having signed a very liberal bill on abortion back in the 1960s, I believe it was, when he was governor of California. Mm -hmm. When it comes to candidates running on issues, like their platform is based off of their religion, on on views that their religion agree on, on on issues where the religion kind of like dictates what their opinion should be. Do you find that as an issue in American politics? Well, I frankly don't see as much of it as I would have thought, um, given that religion is so central to so many people. But you look at Joe Biden um, very regularly told voters that he was a devout Catholic. Mm -hmm. He campaigned on one of the most pro-choice platforms in American history. Um, not only did he want to codify Roe against Wade, he basically jettisoned his support for the Hyde Amendment, um, which forbade the spending of national government dollars on abortion other than to save the life of the mother. Um, so he adopted a more liberal position on abortion than even 
say, Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at the Republican candidate, um, Donald Trump, was never thought of as being terribly religious until he ran for president. Um, this is a man who, in 2016, when asked about whether he'd asked forgiveness of his sins, said he hadn't sinned. Um, and within the Christian community, that was something that any Christian would find themselves in disagreement with, because right. we Christians think that we're all sinners. We believe, at least those of us who are Orthodox or Evangelical, believe in the doctrine of original sin. Um, we go back and look at somebody like, um, say, George W. Bush, who was a fairly pro-life president, he came from a denomination that was, at that point, part of the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Freedom, a pro-choice organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know that people's religion or the dictates of the leadership influences where they come down. Now, there may be a dovetailing of, say, President Bush's um, position on abortion and his religious sensibilities, but not his religious denomination. Mm-hmm. Do you have concerns about religion being used as a, as a tool for candidates to kind of heighten their profile and, and get elected? Um, I think my more pressing concern is that they will abuse religion, mm-hmm. um, that they will basically take advantage of the religious community and not pay them any attention and just view them as um, cogs in a wheel to get elected. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if they take the concerns of the religious community seriously, that's a smart thing um, in that they're paying attention to voters out there. Keep in mind that roughly 90 plus percent of us subscribe to some belief in a power higher than us, whether it be God or people who say spiritual but not religious or whatever. Um, Most Americans have some belief in a higher power. And I think politicians are wise to recognize that. And I would imagine that most politicians are in accord with the idea that there is a higher power. Um, Relatively few members of Congress Um, at least admit to being agnostic or atheistic. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would imagine most of them are being reasonably truthful when they say they do believe in God. So it's not surprising that um, attitudes toward God are going to influence their politics. I'd be surprised if it weren't that way. We can look at the hearings on Amy Coney Barrett, which focused in on her religiosity. Um, Both the hearings for her to be a circuit court judge and the hearings for her to be a Supreme Court justice, um, more of the first than the latter, um, her religiosity came up, and I think she handled it rather rather deftly um, in saying basically that her job as a justice isn't to be a, quote, Catholic justice, but rather to be a justice who is Catholic, Mm -hmm. Uh, much like John F. Kennedy did when he ran for president in 1960, saying that he wasn't just the Catholic candidate for president, but he was a Catholic who was running for president. So this idea between separation of church and state isn't necessarily about keeping religion out of political, out of your political, like voting record, political activities. It's more about just making sure that the state isn't dictating who you should believe in or what you should believe in or whether or not you should believe in a higher power. Or sponsoring a particular faith. Um, For example, I would imagine that President-elect Biden is going to talk about how his religion influences his stand on the Affordable Care Act, on supplemental nutrition and assistance programs, on welfare programs, unemployment insurance. Um, President Obama did it. Um, President Trump, though, I, I think his connection to religion was a bit tenuous, at least at the beginning of his administration. Um, 
talked occasionally about how faith influenced his particular opinions, or at least he had the, mm-hmm. um, some faith leaders, or at least people who set or taken to be faith leaders, um, praying over him at the White House and such. And I don't think that's terribly surprising that politicians are going to pay attention to religion, um, either whether it's regardless of whether they have one or not. Um, they're going to pay attention to faith leaders. For example, um, Senator Sanders of Vermont um, is culturally Jewish or ethnically Jewish, but he doesn't adhere to Orthodox doctrine or even liberal Judaism, really. Um, he's more of a cultural Jew, but he pays attention to the concerns of religious individuals, um, I would hope in part because he respects that they're citizens worthy of um, paying attention to um, regardless of whether he agrees with them or not, much like I think that President Biden is going to have to pay attention to people who are not his co-religionists. Um, so he'll have to pay attention to Protestants, Jews, Muslim, and Hindu, and so on. So would you say overall that it's healthy for people to intermix their religious beliefs and political beliefs? Or do you think at the end of the day that it can be kind of dangerous in a political landscape for people to mix these two ideas I think it's good for people to ground their political beliefs in something other than politics. I don't think that one should basically be taken as a synonym for the other. I think that it is possible for somebody to be a, for example, liberal Protestant and in terms of theology and a conservative Republican or vice versa. I think you can be a very evangelical Protestant and be a liberal Democrat. Um, you go back in our history, and again, this is historical, um, well, in terms of American history, at least it's long ago, um, William Jennings Bryan, who ran for president as a very liberal Democrat, was very evangelical. He's the one who prosecuted um, Mr. Stokes in the Stokes Monkey Trial, did prosecute Stokes. He was defending the state in the um, county school board there, which... Um, convicted scopes of teaching evolution when he wasn't supposed to. If we saw policies that that got rid of religion at all to the Senate floor, to Congress, then that should be more of a of a danger? That would be more of a concern if you told people they couldn't bring their religious sensibilities to any aspect of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine for those of us who are religion or religious, um, that influences all that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you are an evangelical Christian and re- your reading of the Bible may talk to you about um, helping the least, the last, and the lost, um, providing them assistance, whether it be a, a liberal perspective might be that government should do it, a more conservative, e- conservative political perspective might be that you as an individual should do it through charity, but your religious sensibilities are going to influence your actions in life. If they don't, then I wonder about the seriousness of your religious sensibilities. And to expect people to separate them completely out, um, I think is not reflective of reality. Sure. So, you know, I obviously don't know, you know, your personal religious beliefs, but, you know, how do you find as a voter, as a political scientist, how do you find that balance, you know, between religious beliefs, science, and politics. How do you kind of balance that out? Well, as a voter, uh, I guess there's a separate role I have for being a political scientist and being a voter. Um, As a political scientist, I try to be more um, dispassionate and try to explain why things happen, not what should happen. As a voter, I have an incentive to try to push the political system in the direction with which I agree. 
Um, and do my religious sensibilities influence my voting? Most certainly. Um, I think that my attitude about church and state is going to influence um, how I vote, whether I think a candidate for office reflects my view of the role of church and government. Um, as a academic, it influences it too, because I think I've been charged as part of my job is to do a good job in the classroom, to teach students how to think well. Um, I don't think that means that I teach them my religion. I hope that it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that I try to do a good job with the, uh, the responsibilities I've been charged with by the state. Um, state of North Carolina has hired me, among other things, to um, teach y'all. And I try to do a good job with that, A, because I hopefully I'm a good person and I try to do that, but also because I've been charged um, by God to do a good job as part of my responsibility. Mm -hmm. And and we want to be respectful of your time. So that was our, our last question for you. And we just want to go ahead and thank you for, for taking the time to, to speak with us on on a topic that a lot of people don't necessarily feel comfortable, you know, talking about. But we, we really appreciate your expertise. And Well, it's, it's sort of like I say in my uh, syllabus um, for the religion and American politics class, um, there are two things we're not supposed to talk about, um, sex and religion, and then the third is politics. Well, we combine all three in a few of the weeks of the class, since we talk about all the role of sex, religion, and politics all together in the religion and American politics class. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> all right, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of What the Politics, and be sure to tune in every Tuesday. We drop a new episode, and we are excited to kick off our next episode next week with Dr. Mandy Cohen. She's the secretary of the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. She has been leading us during this pandemic, and we are excited to have her on our show next week. So be sure to tune in wherever you get your podcasts. All right, y'all.